Okay, friends, we're going to begin shortly. If you could prepare your hearts in prayer for worship this afternoon. Um, we'll shortly begin. Sunday, August 20th, 2023. I want to welcome you all to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. It's a pleasure and honor to be with all of you this afternoon as we gather together to worship God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as he invites us to his table to worship. Brothers and sisters, would you join me uh, in rising from your seats? And um, as it is on the screen for you, for those who need it, uh, we'd, I'd like to recite the Apostles' Creed together. Let's rise from our seats and recite this confession together. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our call to worship this afternoon comes from Psalm 67. I'll be reading verses 3 to 7 to you. If it helps, you can certainly close your eyes and focus on the words of the psalmist this afternoon. Um, the words that I'm about to read to you are simply an invitation for you to uh, be called to worship. It's an important reminder for every believer uh, that we are, of course, called to worship by our God. Uh, Psalm 67 reads, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Amen. This time I'd like to uh, have a time of prayer. And I'd like to invite you to pray a silent prayer in your heart, a prayer of confession of sin before our holy and righteous God. 1 John 1, 9 reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow our heads in prayer and pray a prayer of repentance as we come before God, as we're reminded of our sinfulness, that we confess these sins, sins with specificity and with precision, that we are reminded of the sins we commit daily against our God, and that we seek his forgiveness at this time. Let's pray.
All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Proverbs 28:13 reads, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How wonderful it is, uh, and it is good news to us all, that our mediator Christ died on the cross for our sins, and thus, if we put our faith in him, that we are assured of pardon, that we have this assurance in Christ, this certainty that our sins have been paid for, and that forgiveness can certainly be found in our God. Uh, praise to him for that. I'd like to draw your attention to the screen at this time. Uh, we are on question 13 of our Heidelberg Catechism. The question asks, and it, it's been a couple weeks, so you might not remember question 12. You can kind of quickly remind yourselves of those things, but it really talked about our sins and our transgressions and how they can be paid for and how they need to be paid for, the necessity of payment for our sins. So here's question 13. Can we by ourselves make this payment? It's payment for sin, right? The cost of sin, the wage of sin is death, right? The answer reads, certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. So a lot like our credit cards, we are constantly falling in more and more debt. And uh, it's because we continue to sin, right? Even the believer who continues, or even the believer who comes to faith, right, uh, continues to live a life of sin. So we were reminded of this reality. Now, of course, again, the good news is that it doesn't end here. The story does not conclude at this uh, necessary payment um, that needs to be paid by the sinner. Uh, of course, if you're a believer, you know where this is leading. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful news that this is not the end, but this is just the beginning of the good news. Well, with that said, I'd like to pray for us. And brothers and sisters, afterwards, uh, our praise team will lead us in a time of song. But as I pray, uh, continue to pray in your own hearts uh, for this time of worship as we dedicate it unto the Lord. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you this afternoon for gathering us today. We thank you for gathering your saints and the believers in this place, in this sanctuary, to worship you, O holy God. We thank you for your faithfulness and your righteousness and constantly being uh, a beacon of hope and a light that shines in our darkness for us. We thank you so much, God, for inviting us to worship you this afternoon. And as we sing songs and as we lift prayers, and as we gather our hearts uh, around your word and we ask, O oh Lord, uh, that the spirit would work in us to be revealed to the truth of your word this afternoon. That it's truth, that the truth that is contained within this word uh, would be made known to us. Um, and that it would not just simply remain as data or information that con is contained within our minds. Uh, but it really uh, convicts and, and compels our hearts uh, to be molded and shaped into the likeness of Christ. We thank you, God, for Christ and his coming. We thank you for your son, for he came and died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you for a reminder of that daily. We ask, O oh Lord, that the gospel would not be distant from us ever, that we are always in, um, always in remembrance of him and uh, the price that he paid on our behalf. Lord, we look at the world around us. We see the fires in Hawaii. We see the fires in the West Coast, as well as just north, north of here, uh, in the Northwest Territories, um, here in Canada. And uh, the many thousands of people who are losing homes and losing, um, you know, their, their whole way of living. Um, and it's unfortunate to see uh, that as a reality. Uh, we've already seen in Hawaii um, people upwards of almost 100 plus people uh, who are dead now and many, many more bodies that are unaccounted for. Um, it's, it's a travesty. And we look at that and Lord God, we ask for, uh, of course, your hand to be a hand of uh, of peace and comfort to those who need it, especially those who've lost loved ones. We ask, O oh Lord, that the ministry of the church in Hawaii would be
prominent and the believers on the ground would be those who are heralding the gospel in a season and time in which Hawaii needs it most. We ask, oh Lord, for the people here in Canada that they would do the same. The Church of Canada would be, again, a herald for the gospel to those who need to hear it the most at this time, that the ministry of the church would be most powerful and efficacious to those who need it. Lord, we ask uh, that as the church, we would never cease in our intercession for those who are in need. We continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine, and we see, of course, uh, the war uh, at this point uh, feeling like it's endless, almost like a constant. In fact, it escapes our minds because it is so constant. We ask that our prayers would not cease in that regard. We pray for our brother John and, our, and his wife, uh, Vianne. We ask, O oh Lord, that you be with them um, as she's dealing with uh, breast cancer. And I ask, O oh Lord, that uh, the surgery and the, and the chemo and everything that is to follow and everything that is upcoming would only be uh, would only be something a process that goes well. Uh, we ask and we trust in you, God, that you would be with them in that situation. Lord, we um, just pray for our brother Honey and his wife Esther as they are expecting child and going through pregnancy. We ask, O oh Lord, for wisdom and care and health in that area as well. God, we pray for this church, its continued its continued ministry for the sake of the gospel and your kingdom. Would you be with us in our discernment and our wisdom and in our character and help us, God, to be grounded in our faith and in your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats and sing together.
We're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. We find ourselves in Mark 8, verses 27 to 30. If you have a Bible, please turn it to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Last week we had our outdoor service um, for our, I guess, in a way, our annual barbecue. And uh, we looked at the previous 
set of verses, and we saw, of course, Jesus healing a blind man, where uh, he uses his spittle to restore his sight. And uh, in that miracle, we see a progression, right? A step-by-step process of which this man is made uh, to be able to see. And he's able to see clearly in the end, but there's a process involved with it. And so we discussed sort of the elements of that and what that means uh, for the spiritual reality of those who are, uh, who transition from being uh, those who cannot see or do not see to those who can, right? And so how that parallels that. Today we're looking at Peter's confession, uh, perhaps one of the more uh, famous uh, interactions between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus and Peter. I'm sure you've heard a sermon or two on this before if you've grown up in the church. But we, let's just read these four verses together and then uh, take a look at the text. I'll read it and you can just follow with your eyes in your own Bibles. This is the word of God, Mark 8, 27 to 30. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Amen. Let me quickly pray for us before we go into the word. Lord, we come to your word humbled by its truth, humbled by its provision of spiritual nourishment. We're humbled by the author, uh, that being you, that you gave us your word. We ask, O Lord, as we go into it, that you would enlighten us through your spirit, for we do not have the capacity on our own to comprehend its vast and its uh, total truth. Help us, God. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, You Are the Christ. This is the central confession of Peter to Jesus today. One of the great pursuits of the human life is perhaps, we can debate this, to be known, to be known by others. We all have a hope or desire, maybe not to be known by the masses. I don't think everybody's pursuing fame right, to the degree of like celebrities or influencers or etc., but to some sphere or to some community or to those around us and to some degree, we hope to be known in good light by others, right? to have good reputation, good standing. We get hurt when the perception or narrative that surrounds us is based on a lack of information or misinformation. It wearies us when we are known falsely or incorrectly by others. And uh, it bothers us to be, you know, truth be told. It does bother us. My favorite uh, fictional superhero uh, character of all time is is Batman. You guys know Batman? My favorite cinematic rendition of Batman is is the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Nolan. Uh, It also happens to be Mikey's favorite. He just constantly reminds me of that. Um, One of the reasons why Batman is my personal favorite superhero is that there's really nothing super about him. He has no powers, he has no crazy origin stories, he just gets trained by a bunch of ninjas, um, and he's rich, that's about it. <laughs> so he has no powers like his peers. Right? Imagine being Batman and then meeting Superman, because they're in the same sort of DC universe. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know if you can stand next to Superman and say, I'm super if you're, if you're Batman, but hello, <laughs> that's the reality of the, of the character. So he doesn't really have any superpowers, but he's known as a superhero, if you will. 
Sure, he's rich and famous, but that's not what enables him to be a hero. And specifically in the Dark Knight trilogy, it really captures this idea of hero and speaks of what heroes really are and how they ought to be defined. So here's a quote from the film. The quote goes, a hero can be anyone, even someone doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around the little boy's shoulders to let him know the world has not ended. Batman is a hero that is simply doing what is right in a world that is ever growing in doing wrong. He is a superhero because he chooses to do something about that wrong. But an interesting dynamic is, in the world of Batman, is that he is not viewed as a hero by all, especially those within his own world. There are some who see him as a pest, a nuisance, a vigilante, and in some cases, even a villain. Imagine trying to do the right thing, and you're really, really, your heart's in the right place, and you're really trying to do the right thing, you're trying to help people, and then all that happens is you're cast as a villain, as a wrongdoer. So here's another quote from the films. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. That's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and so what Bruce Wayne, Batman, realizes is that heroes can't just be people, just ordinary people in the eyes of ordinary people, because what people want is not a person like themselves, but a hope that's beyond what they are. And so he kind of just personifies this as a symbol. They need to be able to hope in their heroes as something greater than themselves, because only something greater can resolve their issues. You can see where I'm going with this, or at least hopefully you can. Batman is, of course, nothing but a fictional, fictional character who even in his world deals with an audience divided on exactly who he is. Now, if I continue on with the, with the Batman analogy, I'm sure the reform community will not be too pleased, so I'm gonna stray away from the fiction and go into the nonfiction. Jesus, however, is very much a historical figure. <clears throat> far more super than any hero we have ever concocted in our human minds. But he too deals with an audience divided on who he is. We are at a point in Mark's gospel where so far in Jesus' ministry, many of the Jewish audiences have demonstrated misunderstanding of who he is, his purpose and his message, contrasted by the Gentile audiences of whom many have demonstrated faithfulness and a better understanding of who Jesus is. In fact, if you've been counting, no person in Mark's gospel thus far to chapter 8 uh, that Jesus has met has declared Jesus properly to be the Son of God. This was only done by demon-possessed people. In other words, the words of the demon. So only God, Mark the author who's commenting, and demons thus far have correctly identified Jesus, or at least his identity. So today's text is monumental for us in this front. Peter is the first non-possessed human, just human, to declare the true identity of Christ properly. That's the monumental aspect of today's text. So let's go into it. Two points. First point, who do people say that I am? And then second, who do you say that I am? First point, who do people say that I am? Let's look at the first two verses, 27 to 28. On the way to surrounding villages of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus poses 
two questions to his disciples. Now note that they could have not known, they couldn't have known absolutely in the moment that there would be a second question to follow the first. So they're just simply answering the questions in succession. The first question is peculiar in two senses. Back then, rabbis typically did not ask questions to his disciples. Why would the teacher ask the student? The students were the ones expected to ask questions to the teacher. It was usually the disciples who would pose questions to their rabbis and the rabbis who would answer. So this was peculiar in that front. Secondly, the nature of the question is odd because it asks what people say he is, right? Or it asks like who people say he is rather than asking generally what people think of him. Now that's a subtle difference, but it's monumental. One speaks to identity, one speaks to reputation. The question is specific. Who do people say that I am? Instead of what do people think of me? Right? Those are two very different questions if you think about it. Now consider this, that Jesus is coming off some episodes with some Jews, remember when they were seeking signs, that were questioning his identity. This guy legit, prove it. Right, uh, And then he had an episode with the disciples who failed to understand who Jesus was. Remember, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and Herod. And they just kept talking about bread. And then a miracle that demonstrated the spiritual reality of the Jews and the disciples in which he heals a blind man progressively. Now, Jesus' inquiry here is not rooted in this, in some sort of self-interest of knowing his level of popularity or affirming his positive image among those uh, that he was dealing with. He's not looking to know how well he is regarded by people. This is not an electoral candidate checking the polls to see if their approval rating is high. Jesus is genuinely asking his disciples what the perception or understanding is a better word of his identity among the people is. Who is at the center of the question? Who do they say that I am? So he's genuinely asking this. This, of course, sets up the second question where the precision of the question is directed to the disciples themselves. The first question is really a teaching point that true disciples of Jesus are not to look at the public perception of Jesus as a means of understanding him. Reminder to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. For to reword this in modern sense, beware of the leaven of the world around you. Even if they are of high authority and so-called high knowledge. I had a student at University of Toronto one time, he was a freshman and he was taking a religious course at, the, at U of T St. George. And he was telling me, my prof just keeps telling me that all of the Gospels are made up. And she gave me all this evidence. And we went through all of this historical evidence over it. Like, and then I gave him sort of the rebuttal to those things. I said, well, I just don't think those things are true. I think your prof is actually being misled by some of these things. And I gave him some responses to those things. Unfortunately, this kid was so convicted by what this prof said, he just couldn't listen. He just wouldn't listen. And he said, the Bible can't be valid because of these reasons. The prof had higher authority than me, the lowly campus staff, right? Like, what am I? Like, they work for University of Toronto, hired with a PhD and degree in all of these things. I have an MDiv, and I work for Power to Change. Right? So it's obvious who you're going to listen to. 
So Jesus' warning is this, by asking this question, rather than looking to the world for your information on who Jesus is, why not look to Christ himself and his self-proclamation? Which brings us to the disciples' response to the question. That the public opinion was that he was, you know, John the Baptist, Prophet Elijah, or one of the other prophets, choose one. John, of course, was beheaded by Herod. So at this point in the story, he's dead. But Herod himself feared that Jesus was a reincarnated John. Do you remember that? Elijah was perhaps in the minds of the Jews the preeminent prophet of the Old Testament. A man who was taken to heaven without dying. And the Jewish sentiment was this, that the prophet was continuing to do godly works in heaven's glory. If you read Jewish texts, they believe that he would care to the poor and tend to the sick. Moses' promise uh, in Deuteronomy that one among them would be raised one day as a prophet greater than he. This was perhaps in the minds of many Jews and in the eyes of some, Elijah. And perhaps this Elijah had returned in the form of Jesus Christ. To categorize Jesus from the perspective of a Jew with such men like John the Baptist, Elijah the prophet, or any of the other prophets, especially Moses and, on, and so on, would be considered by the Jewish crowd as a positive sentiment. And not just positive, extremely positive sentiment. Right? If you guys ever watch, like, I'm a big basketball head, so I use a lot of basketball analogies, but this is not going to make sense to everybody, but this will make sense to most of you, right? Like this whole debate in the basketball world, LeBron, Michael, right? Here's my thing. LeBron will always be chasing Michael, no matter what, right? Because he was the first guy to do it. So it's like he was the first, so everyone after is, are you as good as him? He sets the bar, right? So here are the Jews. They're going, Elijah, Moses, David, and all these other guys from the Old Testament, they set the bar. Is this guy up to this bar? Is he up to this level? That's what they're doing here, right? He can't be greater than them. He's just them reincarnate, right? But the reality is, of course, what? It is positive. When basketball players get compared to Michael Jordan, they say, oh, I'm just grateful I'm in the conversation, right? But here's Jesus not saying, oh, I'm just grateful to be in the conversation with Moses and Elijah and all these other dudes. It sounds like a compliment. It sounds like a positive thing to say. Oh, is he John? Is he Elijah? Is he one of the prophets? But brothers and sisters, be cautious and be aware. To do so and to categorize Jesus in this way would also to be completely inaccurate. And in fact, rather than being of high esteem of Jesus, it would be not high enough. It's not high enough. For all these men were mere mortals, and Jesus no mere mortal. He's no mere shadow of previous men who came. He is, in fact, the very man these men pointed to. He is greater than all of them in every sense. He is the man to which these men bow. To consider Jesus in this light would seem like a good thing in the eyes of a Jew. And perhaps the disciples thought when they were answering Jesus' question that they were reporting good news to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, they think of you like John the Baptist. They think of you like Elijah. When in fact, they were reporting disappointing news. To see Jesus as anything other than who he truly is. Even something somewhat in our eyes positive is still an utter failure. 
Which leads to the next question Jesus poses. Who do you say that I am? Here's what they say. Thanks for the info. But who do you say that I am? See the differentiation that Jesus is making? It's very important that we get to this. We'll get to it in the conclusion. Look at the next two verses, 29 to 30. Jesus listens and then thrusts the second question of, the, of who the disciples say he is. A far more difficult question, and one that really kind of puts them on the spot, but it really echoes back. Remember the storm scene in which the disciples wondered after he calmed it? Who is this man that even the, even the seas, even the winds, listen to him? And at this point, it is Jesus' interest to mark the author's to point us to see, pun intended, because everything is about seeing in this chapter, who Jesus truly is. You see, the crowds and the Jews failed to do so. And just a few verses back, the disciples also failed to do so. Understand who he is. The healing of the blind man was gradual, step by step in its process. First he opened his eyes, he saw men like trees, things moving, blurred but an image, and then he was able to clearly see. And here perhaps we are getting a glimpse of the progressive healing work that is being performed on the hearts of these followers of Jesus, that they soon will be able to see Jesus for who he truly is. The nature of the question and the answer indicate to, indicate to us, the modern reader, that nothing has changed since time began, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, and the life faith alone, in Christ alone, which requires one to know who Jesus is properly, is the only means of salvation. So what is being told to us? Public perception, no matter how good or bad, is no means to salvation. It doesn't matter if you put Jesus in high esteem or high regard. If he's not God and he's not the Son of God and he's not Christ, then there is no salvation in not only are we getting a definition of Jesus' identity thus, we are also getting a definition of your identity, the believer, the Christian's identity. It is one who sees Jesus for who he is and believes in him correctly. Peter responds on behalf of the disciples, as he so often does. Sometimes I wonder if the other 11 men, if they had something to say, but Peter kept interrupting and just kind of, you know, stealing the show every time, right? Uh, but nevertheless, he is the one who does so. And his response comes on the heels of the disciples' inability to recognize Jesus' teaching in which they got rebuked. So you must wonder how and where Peter got this conclusion or even the confidence to answer this question. Nevertheless, it is here in Mark's gospel that Mark makes certain what his gospel intends to teach to us, that Jesus truly is the Christ this is what believers must come to see and understand and receive in their hearts. Christ stands, after all, at the center of the gospel and the message of salvation. This is a shining moment and a transitional moment in the narrative for the disciples. Up until this point, you might say, wow, the disciples are pretty hopeless. But here we see a turn. We see a sudden change in hope for them. For in order to persevere and continue their walk with the Lord, this will be the profession that must be made in their hearts, held onto for the duration of their entire lives as they walk with Jesus. This is not different for us, for you and I today. Public perception of Jesus is ever-changing and mostly incorrect, if not completely, even hostile to Jesus at times. 
I mean, look at many communities today that are liberal and saying things of anti-Christ manner. But it is not this opinion that sways the believer. It is not this opinion, but rather the Spirit who opens our eyes to see the truth of Jesus and who he is. And that will never sway. If you're a Christian because the majority of people around you go to church and are Christian, it's not a good reason to be a Christian. In fact, you might wonder if you're a Christian at all. If you're one of those people, and in your young age, for many of you, you're going to be prone to this, is just doing what everyone else does. I wonder if I put you on an island, what you would actually do with your life. If you're separate from your friends who like the things that you know you ought not to like, what you would do with your life. Really deeply think about this. I know as like 20-something-year-olds, it's hard to do this, but deeply think about it. Do I do this because I truly want to and like this thing, or do I do this because everyone around me does it? And what if everyone around you started doing something else? Would you do that? Think about it. Like, just think about it. You're going to hit my age, and you're going to realize it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It really doesn't. A lot of young people are always say, like, just you do you, man, like, right? None of you do what do you. None of you do that. You do what everyone else does, right? All of you actually did you do you. Everyone here would be extremely unique, right? Look at the way we talk, the way we dress, the, what, what we like, the things, interests that we have. Right? Sure, there's going to be overlap always in a community, but I wonder, are we just trend followers or are we truly doing what Christ is compelling us to do? Just living life the way we ought to live it. Convicted to do the things of God. And if you only do the things of God, if you're part of your ministries on campus or if you're part of the ministry of this church and you're only in it because a whole bunch of other people you like are in it, you got to question that too. Your motives must be questioned. Not for the sake of your removal from those things, but for your sake of sanity to be healthy in what you're doing. I beg of you to just ponder these things for a moment, to be a little bit more sensible. It's what I had to do. I think it's important. Public perception is very difficult to remove from our minds, but it does influence us, and we must be aware of this. But here's the amazing thing here. As the public procession of Jesus is ever-changing, and it's mostly all of these negative things, it's not this opinion that sways the believer. It's the Spirit. And here in the Gospel of Mark, for the first time, human lips utter the truth contained in the short narrative that Jesus is the Christ. And where did that come from, brothers and sisters? Reading chapter 8, did you see this build up to this? Absolutely not. If you told me in the beginning without getting here and I knew nothing, how would Peter answer this question? I would say, probably like a fool. He'd probably say something ridiculous. He'd probably say something maybe along the lines of truth, but not totally. But from somewhere that is mysterious to us, I would say it would be the Spirit. He is compelled to utter the words, you, Jesus, are the Christ. Do you understand how monumental it is 
for a Jewish man of this era to say this about another man standing in front of him? Like you really need to think about where this is coming from. There are two distinctions being made for us, and here's our conclusion in today's text. Firstly, there is public perception of Jesus and a private perception of Jesus within the mind of the believer. The public's perception is derived from data and human bias. The private is made known through the Spirit himself as he regenerates us. The Confessions teaches us that the Spirit illuminates our minds. The opinion opinion of Christ will fluctuate in the public courts as data is debated. Why? Because data is ever-growing and increasing and changing. Whereas there is no fluctuation in the hearts of those who have come to see Christ, truly. The second distinction is this, is made between knowing Christ for who he is not and knowing Christ for who he is. We cannot be satisfied with just knowing Christ generally or superficially where his true identity is not comprehended. He is not simply a good man or a good teacher or a religious figure. He is far beyond John the Baptist or Elijah or any of the prophets. He is no mere man. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. His mission was to be sent, to take on flesh, to die on a cross for the sins of many, to resurrect, return one day to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior and Lord of our lives. He is our prophet, priest, king to the highest degree, and he is God. The distinction Mark is making is that it is not good enough to think highly of Jesus with our human minds or to just have an idea of who he is. You must know him properly in the correct category. He is to be known as he has revealed himself to us. The believer then is this, one whose perception of Jesus differs from those who are not believers and one who holds to the correct understanding of who Jesus is. The line between believer and unbeliever is Jesus. Now that's not all that a believer is, but two facets of the believer's heart. It is thus the reality of your heart, the believer. And if you are a believer sitting in this room today, this is true of you. And the confession of Peter is the confession of your heart that you make constantly in your heart as you walk with the Lord in your life that he is Christ. Ponder this in your mind today, brothers and sisters. Because I throw this question at you as Jesus threw it to Peter. Who do you say that Jesus is? How do you answer that? And when you do, Is it just an echo of what Peter is saying? Or do you truly believe what you're saying when you say Jesus is the Christ? Because there's there's a lot that comes with that answer. Peter didn't know it in the moment when he thrust those words, you are the Christ. Could he have comprehended everything that was to come in his life to be? No. And I don't imagine we can do the same for none of us know the future. But if you truly believe Jesus is the Christ, I don't imagine our lives will be too distant from the reality of how Peter lived out his for the sake of Christ. I don't pray for any of you to be rich, famous, do well in your careers. I could care less. I'm sorry. I, I do. I truly do care less about that. Because I, I just trust that your effort and your work and, and timing and all these things will work out. You'll get your jobs. You'll do your thing. You'll make money. You'll have a family. You'll have kids. Whatever, right? I believe all that. I don't pray for that. I pray that you would live your life for the sake of Christ. I do. I truly do. That's all I care for in your life. That it honors God 
in all the ways you live it. So praise be to God for his son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's reflect on God's word today. rise from our seats and sing together in response to God's word.
not come from the human mind or heart. It can only come from you. And so we thank you that this question was thrust to Peter and that he answered it rightfully, not by his own power or ability, but by the illumination of the Spirit working within him. And the illumination, that same illumination works in us to come to know Jesus as Christ. So we thank you for that. May we proclaim this and herald it for the rest of our lives. Lord, we thank you for the provision that you give to us food on our tables, uh, the money in our pockets, and the time and and different things we're able to enjoy in life. It comes out of your grace and your mercy. We thank you. Lord, out of that provision, we give to you this offering. We ask, O Lord, that we would give it with cheerful hearts, that we give it uh, for the purposes of the ministry of your gospel and your kingdom through this church and in this city. We ask, O Lord, that it be used faithfully and that it would benefit you and you alone. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I have quite a few announcements to rip through, so if I'm a little speedy with it, uh, just bear with me. I'm just trying to get, I don't want to say get rid of them all, but trying to get through them all. Uh, Firstly, welcome to Sheepgate. It's good to see some new faces, good to see some old. Uh, We're nearing the end of summer, so I know students are, especially those who go to like Hamilton or Waterloo or or Queens, we're not going to see you for a while, but uh, it's a pleasure to spend these last few weeks of the summer with you. I don't know if that's like daunting to those who hate winter. It's like, oh my goodness, why is he mentioning the end of summer? But we are nearing the end of it, um, and it's good to see you. Uh, it's, it's, it's always an honor uh, to worship with you on Sundays. So welcome to Sheepgate if it's your first time. Offerings can be sent to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com uh, through e-transfer if you'd like to give that way. Uh, we also have our basket and envelopes in the back. Just make sure to write your legal names uh, so that we can uh, definitely make account of that and uh, issue tax receipts at the end of the year. I think it's always very important. So please join us for fellowship following service. We have food at our other building. Uh, I think there's enough food, so don't worry about it. Uh, if you need a ride, just please let us know. If you need directions, let us know as well. We'd love to see you there. Please join us for fellowship if you can. Uh, we're going to do a quick confession study following service um, on 10.4. It's an interesting one. The paragraph is very compelling. It talks about um, well, well, we'll get to it. I don't, I'll give you a, I won't give you a heads up yet. So 10.4, after service, please join us if you can. Uh, two things we're recruiting for. Actually, there's a lot of things I'm recruiting for, but I know everyone forgets everything, so I'm just going to note two things of urgency, uh, that we need teams allocated 
I'm hoping by September or like sometime in September so we can start planning. There's two things, two very exciting things. By the way, you can sign up for both if you have the time for it. The first is this, our children's ministry that we're hoping to launch in January. Um, if you're interested and you love kids, first of all, if you hate kids and you find them annoying, like don't sign up for this team. Like I don't know why you would do that. But if you love kids uh, and you want to help us research and develop a curriculum for children, right? Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of cool things uh, and doing, I think, a lot of groundwork uh, for the ministry of our children in the future. So this is like really like almost historical stuff for our church. So please, if you're interested and you'd like to prayerfully consider being part of this team, um, yeah, just let me know ASAP, and uh, I'll start like a group chat or something, and we can start discussing what to do. Second, um, I've decided, um, and this is something that God has put on my heart for a while now, is next March, during March break, we're going to host a youth retreat slash conference, um, and it's going to be a I mean, I'll just say it bluntly, it's going to be a reformed conference for youth. Um, and we're not trying to compete with, like, any other things out there. Uh, but we want to just help students, especially those kids in small churches with no pastors who are just kind of going, you know, because of their parents or whatever. Uh, and we're just trying to, like, gather them together for a couple, like, maybe three days or so in March um, and give them a little bit of, uh, of good biblical teaching and maybe connect with them so we can maybe disciple them. Um, these pastors, the pastors of these churches have asked me to organize this. And so funding and all this stuff is going to be collaborative. Um, what I need from our church is because none of you are youth, although some of you kind of look a little youthy. But anyways, uh, yeah, if you have a heart for youth, right, so this is going to be like grade 7 to 12-ish, and you want to help maybe teach and disciple some of these kids, especially, you know, kingdom come people as they come into university, um, help me out. I want to organize this. Um, so I need a planning team, a committee. We're going to work on location, transportation, logistics, everything, and then schedule, curriculum, figuring out speakers, like everything. Um, even a name for the conference, because this is the, like, sort of like the first one, right? So all this stuff, if you're interested in this, pray about it. Again, I'd like to form a team. Uh, by the end of this month, maybe starting in September, we can start planning. The faster we get on this March break is very competitive in terms of getting locations down. Um, so that if you know any churches that might be interested in joining us in this and collaborating on this, let me know too. Um, so that's the two things we're recruiting for. Um, just let me know. Bible study continues this Thursday. Um, every Thursday night we gather at church, the other one, uh, 6.30 p.m. to study Gospel of John. It's been really cool. We're getting into chapter 7. You don't want to miss chapter 7, I'll just tell you that. So uh, join us if you can. Uh, soccer fellowship today, 5 to 7 p.m. Hangar, just across the street, Downsview Park. If you would like to play and join us for a little game of soccer, please feel free to do so. Uh, that would be fantastic. We have some birthdays. I don't have the books. I don't have the gifts yet. I'm just going to do it all at the end of the month. Um, but happy birthday, Jess. Just birthday's today. It's crazy. And Eric. Wait, is Eric here? Oh, Eric. Oh, <laughs> You're always on this side. <laughs> okay, Eric's here. Happy birthday. Yeah, so Jess, Eric, uh, birthday today and tomorrow. So happy birthday to both of you. We'll have your cake, gifts, everything next week. So that's that. Uh, please, if you can, continue praying for John and Dion. Um, they've asked for prayer because at this point it's like certain now. Uh, everything came out, diagnosis, everything. So she's diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and it's like devastating. Um, so it's very hard for her to even just look at her kids right now. 
Um, so they're kind of gauging whether to pursue um, getting healthcare here or maybe going to Korea and getting it done there. So they're really discerning a lot of things and just a lot of anxiety um, in the household, a lot of fear. Um, please pray for them. And if you know them, reach out. Um, I think it'd be nice. I'm going to be doing a visitation maybe sometime end of this month, maybe Labor Day weekend or something. If you'd like to join me, uh, his house is huge, so we can all like go and like crash it. But if you'd like to join me and maybe going, playing with the kids and just kind of comforting them a bit, I think they'd appreciate that. So let me know if you would like to join me in that. Finally, um, more sad news. Um, next week uh, is Richard's last week with us. Uh, Richard has been hired by a church in Scarborough with the Europe. Going through training, sure. Richard has, is going through training with the church. Uh, and next Sunday will be his last. Um, he's uh, obviously a little devastated uh, that he won't be with us um, following. But, I mean, doesn't mean end of friendship or relationship, right? Uh, so he's actually going to be preaching next Sunday and giving us his last sermon with us, at least as a member of this church. And then he'll be moving on. So I think it'd be fitting for us to kind of just, you know, uh, hear him out next week and pray for him and all that stuff. Um, so please, yeah, don't miss out. Next week, uh, Richard will preach. And uh, we'll, give, we'll spend some time in prayer for our brother as he uh, takes the next steps in his ministry and his career. So I'm happy for him because he gets to pursue his call and uh, be in a position where, I mean, I think he has gifts as a pastor, so obviously we want to encourage him in that. So uh, let's keep that in prayer. And uh, yeah, I mean, final chance to debate Richard. So you got two weeks to do that um, on global warming and all that other stuff. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Don't debate him. I'm joking. Don't do that. Okay, let's rise from our seats. End off the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I'll give you like a minute or two, wash and break, um, and then we'll gather up in small groups of your choice and uh, quickly go through 10.4 of the confessions. <laughs>